that sweater. Thanks, my mom made it for me. I like that color on you. It's a little little mask for my taste. Yeah, I can see that. Well, it looks very nice. It goes very well with your skin tone. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Michael, how are you? You just finished a long day on the job. It's been fine. Just removing this bag of chips from the view of the camera. That's a great idea. Our financing for the housing fell through. Oh, no. It's one of those ridiculous bureaucratic... Like, it really was. It was like two months of work and pushing bureaucrats. And then finally, one bureaucrat was like, we don't like the siding on your house. We will not give you a loan. That is so annoying. I've had similar things happen (sighs) with like medical insurance bureaucracy. Just one person being like, I don't like the verbiage of this letter. Denied. It really was like, I am an upper middle class suburban dad who hates myself and i don't like the fact that you are buying a house that i deem unfit inappropriately bohemian (laughs) i was like okay dude how about i just give you the money that's equivalent to the amount it would cost to repair it i was basically trying to solve the problem by like offering like financial incentives and he was like no you are far too gay (laughs) far too gay for a loan don't you see that i mean that is true yeah loans are very heterosexual but uh no i think we'll be fine we just can't move into the house until the new year most likely how are you otherwise how am i otherwise work is new you know trying to make friends making friends at work making friends at work figuring out what my job is there's like two types of jobs in the world there's a job that actually does something and you get paid Mm -hmm. very little for it and then there's a job where you show up and the first month you're just figuring out what it is you're getting paid for and you actually Mm -hmm. get paid a living wage (laughs) and you know i'm fortunate to have the second kind yeah so i'm lucky there how are you hava Baruch Hashem, I'm well. I'm super weird right now because earlier today I had a dentist appointment and I got a deep cleaning. I don't know if you're familiar with a dental deep cleaning, but it's like they go down to the roots of your teeth and they have to numb your mouth. Oh yeah, I often Google the category of DDC. (laughs) So half of my mouth is still pretty numb, which is making doing a podcast quite an interesting experience since uh, that's something I do with my mouth. Your diction is excellent. Yeah, that's because I'm like being very intentional about it right now. Okay, what if you just just act like yourself? Just see what I want to hear what it no, sounds like. No, I will never do that. It's not allowed. I know, I know. That's like a big ask even during normal times. Um, earlier though, I was trying to say something to my boyfriend and I like literally could not make the sound of the letter P. I was trying to say pretzel because he had gotten some pretzel nuggets and I wanted him to save some for me. And I was like, can you save me some of those pretzel nuggets? Wait, are these like hard, dry pretzel nuggets? Like from a bag? Like soft, delicious mall pretzel nuggets. Oh, I love mall pretzels. They were awesome. My mouth has enough sensation for me to eat something. So I ate the pretzel nuggets right before I got on this call. Someone should start a girl band called the Mall Pretzels. Oh my God. I would totally listen to that. Yeah. So that's like the defining characteristic of my day is like weird mouth experiences. But otherwise, I'm good. I'm also just, you know, figuring out what my new job is and working hard, being a little overwhelmed. But I'm about to be like through the most intense time of the winter in terms of busyness. I just have to hold on for like another week or two and then I'll be 
in more of the chill zone, which is where I like to reside. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to my chill zone. I don't think it's going to happen for another, I don't know, four weeks or so. I believe in you. I believe together we can reach the promised zone. I'm so excited for you to visit our future humble hobbit hole. Me too. I'm so ready. I was just telling my boyfriend yesterday about how much I miss living in the woods, so I'm excited to get some of that vicariously through you. You're going to get it, for sure. It's going to be a lot of work, but it'll be something. That's going to be great. You're going to love that. You're going to love the like tangible reality of that work, I feel. I had this great moment with my mom about it, too. Mm-hmm. She heard of the property and found out there were some power lines running over a portion of it. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, no, like you're going to get <laughs> leukemia, like all that kind of stuff. The 5G is going to turn you gay. The 5G is going to turn you gay. And then I was like, but two negatives are positive. Maybe the 5Gs will turn me straight. Like You don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe the 5Gs plus the power lines will finally straighten you out. Yeah. But then three weeks later, she's like, oh, I'm so excited for you because you're going to have a garden. I'm not sure how she squares those two realities in her mind. That sounds very cute, though. Does she think that gardens somehow cancel out the effects of leukemia or the benefit of gardens just outweigh leukemia? I think there might be something else going on under the surface, like she's coming to terms with being supportive of her son. I'm not sure. I mean, this is the first, I would say, majority positive anecdote you've ever told me about your mother. So I'd say that's a good sign. I know. I know. I think it's pretty good. I was thinking it would be fun for me to actually have a conversation with my mom and record it. I mean, people loved the conversation with your dad. We should re-air that episode sometime. That was great. Syndicate that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We should serialize it, broadcast it in a series of chapters. Do you want to listen to the cowering fear of a son talking to his father? (laughs) Do you want to get right inside an Arthur Miller play? Yeah, it really is. It really is. I feel like I should be giving like a soliloquy and then something awful needs to happen at the end. Like I get hit by a trolley or something. Enough of that. On to this. Yes. So today we are addressing a listener question from our dear listener, Goy Goth Girl. Goy Goth Girl writes, Hello, thank you so much for this podcast. I love what you're doing. Your work is important and necessary. Thank you so much. We love you as well. So here's my quandary. I'm not Jewish at all. I was, however, converting in order to be married to a Jewish person. I absolutely fell in love with Judaism. As it happens, I fell out of love with the person for whom I had begun this journey, and we ultimately did not marry. I abandoned my conversion and study, albeit hesitantly, because I couldn't justify doing it for myself. I have no plans to convert, but I long to practice again as well as continue my study. Is a practicing non-Jew a thing? Am I somehow being disrespectful of Judaism and its principles by continuing to observe with no intention of converting? Your insights are very much appreciated. Thank you very much for your question. Thank you very much. I have both a direct answer and a long, elaborate answer. And we're going to do the long, elaborate answer first. And then at the end, the direct answer will feel more obvious and satisfying. Okay, okay. So give the quick summary of what this question is asking. To me, the essence of the question is, is it okay to practice Judaism or some parts of Judaism if you have no intention of converting? Okay. Sure. And then there's also some personal stuff about the question, which we'll address later on in the show. We're going to start off with a classic piece of Talmud. On ye old Kiddushin 31a, we read this passage. The Amar Rabbi Hanina 
gadol metuvet wase, mimish eno metuvet wase. So Rabbi Hanina said, greater is one who is commanded and performs the command than one who is not commanded and performs it. This, on its surface, starts to address the question, right? Rabbi Hanina is saying, it's better if you are commanded and you follow the command than if you spontaneously do the same thing as the command. So and a practical example might be like, Rabbi Hanina thinks it's better if you're commanded to keep kosher and you keep kosher than if you're not commanded to keep kosher and you keep kosher. Oh, I can see how you could use this both ways. Yes, and we are going to go to an unconventional reading of it. Okay. I thought I might explain a little bit some possible reasons why Rabbi Hanina might have said this. Tosafot comments that the reason it's greater to be commanded is because if you're commanded, you have to battle your evil inclination that's going to discourage you from doing the command. Whereas if you're not commanded, you never really had to do it in the first place, so the stakes are lower. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it. No, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it, but that's the explanation. I think it's more like Jews do some things, and non-Jews don't have to do those things. A non-Jew doing a thing that's like metaphysically net nothing, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because look, look, we're talking, I mean, not that it's nothing. I'm saying when we're just limiting ourselves to the scope of the one commitment between the Jewish people and God... Anything that anyone does outside of that does not factor into the algorithm that shoots out the mitzvah score of the Jewish people at the end of the day. I'm going to challenge that with some more Talmud. Okay. So earlier on the same page of Talmud, we read this little anecdote. They asked Rabbi Eliezer, how far does one have to go to fulfill the mitzvah of honoring one's father and mother? Rabbi Eliezer said, come and hear this story about what a non-Jew did for his father in Ashkelon. And the name of that Jew was Dama bin Natina. One of the sages wished to purchase precious stones from him for the breastplate of the high priest. And he was going to pay him 600,000 gold dinars in profit, which is a lot. Okay, okay. And the key to the chest holding the jewels that they wanted to buy was buried under his father's grave and he wouldn't disturb him. So the situation is the Jews want to buy a bunch of jewels from a non-Jew for a sacred purpose. But unfortunately, the key to the jewels is buried under the non-Jew's father's head, and he won't disturb him. Even though he would have made a huge profit, he forsook that profit in order to honor his father. The next year, the Holy One, blessed be he, gave Dama bin Natina his reward, and a red heifer was born in his herd, and the Jews needed it. When the sages of Israel came to him, he said... I know if I ask for all the money in the world, you would give it to me, but I only ask for the money that I lost due to the honor of my father. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, so a Gentile did something and God rewarded them, but that still has nothing to do, nothing to do with the question. That's a different covenant. We're not (laughs) concerned with that. That's between the Gentile and God. I disagree. According to Torah, the non-Jew in this story... Mm is not obligated in the commandment of honor your father and mother. Yes, 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 that's fine, that's fine. But look, if God was like, all trans Jews need to eat a pickle on Shabbat, okay? Uh Uh-huh, which is true. Let's imagine that that's like, 
part of the whole mitzvah score. Mm-hmm. Just because somewhere in the Talmud it would say, well, like, look at how the Gentile eats a pickle. Let's do it that way. That doesn't say anything about, what am I trying to say here? What am I trying to say here about pickles? What it says is it brings out this perfect, important point, which is part of what I'm getting at here. So Rabbi Hanina said it's greater for one who is commanded. He didn't say it's nothing for someone who isn't commanded. He said it's greater, meaning that there okay. is some okay. metaphysical reward for those who aren't commanded and do. Okay. So okay. this okay. is the first point I'm drawing out here is that there is at least one point of view in the Talmud, which is of the opinion that if you're doing mitzvahs, even ones you aren't commanded to do, there is some metaphysical value to that. So right. that's cool. part one of my proof that I'm building. Right, I'm building a little structure here. I'm entrapping you. It's the cask of Amontillado, and I'm bricking you into the Talmud wall okay. bit by bit. Okay, can I try to break out of the cask, uh, <laughs> cask right now, or do you want me to wait? Say what you're going to say, and then we'll see if I dismiss it. Does this mean that I can just go around as a non-Jew, dressed to the nines? Is that the expression? <laughs> Dressed to the nines as what, just like dressed in a really cute outfit? <laughs> no, no, no. Like I want a black hat. Right. So this is part of what I'm I'm going to get to eventually. There are some things that are sort of specifically not supposed to be practiced by non-Jewish people. It's not equal across the board. Honor your father and mother is very different than keeping Shabbat, for instance, which is sort of supposed to be a specifically Jewish practice. Yeah, perhaps maybe a more realistic example might be, if I'm a man, am I allowed to do the mitzvahs that are only assigned to women? Can I have a time of the month where I can just go to the mikvah? I'm very curious about that halacha. It's something that I think about a lot as a woman who does not have a menstrual cycle who is therefore sort of half in and half out of the Nidah commandment. Okay, okay. Basically, I think you're wandering into a more complicated area than you think. Okay, I'm going to shut up. We'll get to the practical parts later. I want to build some more bricks. Okay. I'm going to bring this quote from a wonderful article by Rav Eliakim Krumbein. He has this little paragraph that I deeply appreciated and... It's a little bit complicated, so I'll explain it after I've read it all. The advantage of one who is commanded exists on the level of the historical command. However, his understanding that he is commanded in the reality before him depends on his awareness of and sensitivity to his circumstances and the nature of the command. Were it not for this consciousness, the command would remain a lonely voice calling out in the desert, devoid of any validity or force in the present. Therefore, Rabbeinu Tom understood that the gates of divine command are not closed before women, even if they are not included specifically in the command at Sinai concerning certain mitzvot, who is to say that they are not capable of discerning the divine voice that speaks from within the world? They are still able to look at reality and understand that it obligates the fulfillment of a certain mitzvah. For example, if on Rosh Hashanah, a woman comes to synagogue and feels in her heart that on this occasion, in these circumstances, she is obligated to coronate God, as it were, by hearing the sound of the shofar, then it is not her imagination that is guiding her. A mature consciousness gives rise to this feeling, a consciousness capable of understanding that if the conditions for the fulfillment of a great mitzvah have been created, then this itself obligates its fulfillment. Mm. 
So what our friend is saying here, and this honestly, I just thought was a beautiful piece of writing, and I was very excited to bring it. But his essential point here is the advantage of the person who's already been commanded exists in a historical dimension. You know, the one who's already been commanded, that command has already been received. However, God is always speaking to us through reality. The voice of the command is forever being repeated in the world. His argument is that it's possible that when we feel called to do a mitzvah that we're not commanded in, it's not just because of some completely foolish reason, but actually because our consciousness or our soul is perceiving that command that's always going forth. And in that moment, we sort of attain an obligation for ourselves. Okay. Okay. That's neat. That's neat. That's a neat idea. I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, I'm into yeah, it. I'm into it too. I'm into it too. I have one last thing that I'm going to bring and then I'm going to lay out my three possibilities here. Okay. All right. I know I'm layering on the sources, but I'm. it's all going to become clear in a moment. In Shavuot 39a, we read, Ki et asher yeshno pe, ein li el otan haomdin al harsinai, dorot habaim ugerim, there is a verse in the Torah that says, but with he who stands with us here on this day, Deuteronomy 29, 14. So this is talking about when the Torah is being received on Mount Sinai. This verse is saying the people who receive it are the ones who stand there on that day. So the Talmud asks, I have derived from that verse that only those who physically stood there were included in the covenant. Because that's what the verse said. The covenant is with those who stand there that day. Where do I derive that subsequent generations and converts who will convert in the future were also included? The verse states, and also with he who is not here on this day, which is in the next half of that verse. So basically what this Talmud is coming to prove is something that comes up often in certain Jewish circles is the idea that we were all at Sinai in a certain sense. Even people who were yet to become Jewish in the future were in some sense through magical, godly time travel obligated in that covenant. Is that because the tense of the verb and who are not here today is present tense? And that implies that all these future people that don't exist, quote unquote, right now are actually here right now. Correct. So that's a verb tense. Uh, verb tense game. All of these sources I have brought are to answer our, our listener's question with one of three possibilities. Here are the possibilities I see for you, listener, in your desire to practice Judaism. One is that maybe you are going to convert sometime in the future, and you are therefore, in some sense, pre-commanded through magical, godly time travel. And so, don't sweat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, maybe you're a Jew. Yeah, this is one of the main points I wanted to bring in response to this question, listener. I have the utmost respect for you and your sense of your own intentions, but I just wanted to bring up the possibility that maybe you do want to convert. You know, it, the intensity of desire that you're expressing for Jewish practice leads me to believe that maybe you haven't quite let go of the possibility of converting. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. And intention can be complicated, you know? There have been moments where I have tried to detransition long time ago. In those moments was like, oh, I never really wanted to transition. And then 
later in the future, I kept transitioning and I was like, never mind. I actually always wanted to transition and I just wanted to stop because it was really hard. Right, right. Okay, so that's take number one. Yes. Sometimes intentions are more complicated than we can perceive in the present moment. The possibility number two is maybe you weren't commanded in the mythical past, Mm -hmm. but perhaps what you're having right now is an intuitive sense of the ever-present voice of command that comes from Hashem. You have a sense that the shape of reality creates the opportunity for you to do Jewish practice, and that itself draws you towards Jewish practice. Yes, and that is interesting because then the commands that you're receiving are not part of the Jewish covenant necessarily. They could be part of some other covenant that has yet to be categorized or a personal covenant, but if in good faith you are perceiving these commands to do mitzvahs, or as they're known in the Jewish covenant, which may or may not be—you know what I'm trying to (laughs) say—like— Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, God can make multiple covenants. No limit. They certainly can. I am not ready to parse out the metaphysics of individualized personal pan covenants, but I definitely think that's a possibility if the time travel explanation does not appeal to you. Okay, I like it. And my third and final option is maybe none of these things are true. Maybe you're not commanded in any way, either intuitively or through time travel. And there are still things that are perfectly fine to do. Jewish text study is fine. It's okay. In my Talmud classes and in most Svara-style Talmud places, people who are not Jewish are very welcome to join the study community. So there are many Jewish practices, and I think it behooves you probably to investigate each practice before you decide to partake in it. But there are many Jewish practices that are open to people who are not Jewish. And there are some that are not. Like, you probably shouldn't wear tzitzit. You probably shouldn't wear a kippah around all the time. And if you find that you really want to wear a kippah around all the time, I'd invite you to reinvestigate your intentions around conversion. Okay, so it sounds like there's two kind of interesting metaphysical takes that are not maybe the standard that totally make what you're doing and what you want to do, kosher. Yes, there are two possibilities. One of them requires that you reevaluate your intentions around conversion. One of them doesn't necessarily. But overall, my biggest advice part of this answer is I wonder if you actually do want to convert. That's my biggest advice. You know, I myself and hundreds of friends have said, oh, of course, I mean, if I could just wear women's clothing, if I could just turn into a woman tomorrow, I would, but that I can't. And readers, you can. You can turn into a woman. You can turn into a this Jew. Very, you can turn into a woman. You can turn into a Jew. I don't know how you feel about this, but the way it's going now, as soon as you decide that you're a woman, you're a woman. In fact, mm-hmm. some people would say you were you're a woman even before you decide that you're a woman, right? But for, right. for Jew... Is it a little bit more tricky? Is it actually harder? Well, it's a little bit more tricky, but there is at least one extant metaphysical viewpoint that is like, if you converted, you were always Jewish. Oh. It's like a Schrodinger's Jewish identity (laughs) situation. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that would make sense. That follows naturally from the fact that we were all at Sinai. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Goy Goth Girl, I would say there is... In some sense, such a thing as a practicing non-Jew, 
but it's limited to only certain practices, study definitely being one of the more open ones. So evaluate that on a case-by-case basis, and I hope this Talmud has helped you explore your own relationship to this process. And all the men out there who are straight men who have sex with men. I hope that helps you evaluate the particular (laughs) predicament you find yourself in as well. Listeners, I hope this episode turns every single one of you trans and gay. And Jewish. And Jewish. (laughs) Stellar. Well, I think that's the ballgame. I hope this has been helpful for you, listener. I really appreciated the opportunity to dive into this question. If you, other listeners, have questions for us, please send them to us. You can Ask us questions on our website at chaihowareyou.com. Send them to us on Patreon or at chaihowareyou at gmail.com. Call the Talmud hotline, which is in the description. There are a million ways you can send us questions, and we'd love it if you did that. Yes, yes. We love the questions. Well, you all look beautiful today. Your hair looks great. Did you just wash it? And Shavuot Tov. <laughs> Shavuot Tov. <laughs>